Come join Melissa and her guests on the Chats from the Blog Cabin podcast. From North Carolina, this podcast will have you feeling like you've known these folks for years. Listen in as they chat about life, culture, current events, and more, all with a special Southern flair. Curl up with your favorite beverage and get ready to be entertained. Tune in now for a unique experience that's fun and insightful. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Chats in the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting about getting out of our own head. Um, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to talk about some heavy topics, but hopefully it'll help people. So before we get into our topics, let's introduce yourself. Tell us people who you are. Sure. Yeah. Brian Sachetta, author and owner of Get Out of Your Head, which is both a, a brand and book series that seeks to help folks overcome anxiety and depression. So uh, it's funny. I talk to folks and they're like, you know, how did you get into this? What do you do full time? I'm actually a software developer by trade, which, you know, on the surface doesn't have a lot to do with mental health, but um, I got into this stuff by sort of, uh, I don't know, trial by fire, if you will. I've dealt with both conditions for uh, <laughs> prolonged periods in my own life and eventually got to the point where I felt like I learned some things and wanted to share the information that I had come up with, with other, uh, uh, share that with others. And then also like in an effort to, you know, help them overcome some of the things that they were going through. Wow. I mean, you already said no topic off subject. So why did you decide to create your own book series? Yeah, it was really just a product of having been through uh, anxiety and depression in the past. Or, you know, I mean, it's still something that I deal with from time to time, but it was so much worse, you know, 10 years ago. And I guess specifically the book series itself, right? It's like, why do a book series versus, you know, just talk to somebody or make a PowerPoint or something like that, right? I, I don't know exactly. I, I do sort of remember this point in time. There was, I guess there was two of them. One was like, you know, being this 18 year old with like a lot of, I, I don't know what the right terms are, but like piss and vinegar or something like that, you mm -hmm. know, and just kind of saying like, when I figured this out, uh, I'm, I'm going to write a book about it. I'm going to, you know, vanquish my demons, all that sort of stuff. So I think I've come off of that, um, that sort of mindset a little bit in the sense that like, it's, I, I don't approach things as aggressively <laughs> as I probably did was when I was an 18 year old. Uh, I, I think a lot of us could say that about a lot of different subjects. Uh, you know, you start to smooth things out a little bit. Uh, but then also, I remember right around the time that I got, uh, I was preparing to, I guess, shortly before I started writing the first draft for my first book, I remember sort of reconnecting to that moment in college and saying, you know, I think uh, I, I, I think I finally have some information that is I have enough information that I could share with folks that would be helpful. Uh, and then also sort of like, you know, my brother had written a book uh, previously and sort of, it was one of those moments where it's was like, I'm looking at my bucket list and I'm like on there, it said, I want to write a book. And I had this previous memory of, you know, I wanted to do something like that. So it just felt like the right time, you know, it wasn't written necessarily like a, a hundred percent conscious decision, but it was the beginning of the journey or like uh, the, the authorship journey. And I'm glad that I took it because, you know, sometimes I, I look back and I say, if I didn't start then, I may, I, you know, I may have looked back at, at this age and said, oh, that's too difficult of a journey to start. So I'm glad that I, I kind of put the first foot forward. And then uh, that, I guess, started the journey and, and allowed me to keep going today. Do you think that it brought out your creativity because you said you were software? So that's more like, you know, you're just looking at code and things all day long, whereas this one allowed you to bring out your creative juices a little bit. 
I mean, you're, you're on point. I think the interesting thing is like, even though software is more analytical and sort of like almost uh, left brain, if you will, right? There is a part of it that is right brain as well, where it's like, you know, especially if you sit on the front end sort of side, side of things, where if you're building mobile applications or designing websites or something like that, there is this, right, there's, uh, there's sort of the data and web services side of things uh, where that's probably more analytical, more just sort of, you know, chugging along writing code. And then there's this visual aspect where, um, you know, if you're writing client side applications or, or building those websites, like you do get to be a little bit more involved with the visual stuff, the creative stuff. Uh, I always enjoyed doing that sort of stuff. Like, you know, I've, I've built start, uh, excuse me, I've built uh, mobile applications for startups in the past. And I always really enjoyed being able to see the product come to life and being able to say like, you know, I put my creative juices on that sort of thing. So I think the book itself or, you know, starting the 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 book series and whatnot, I think that was more an extension of that was maybe like, hey, I, I dabble in the creativity in the in the software world, but I want more of it. Um, and also just wanting to be able to express myself further and, and share some of the stories um, that I had at my disposal. I mean, you the fact that you were able to come out and say, hey, this is my story. These are my stories. This is what I've gone through. Maybe it'll help somebody else. How was it response? How how did your family respond to it? Yeah, I mean, my like, you know, in my immediate family, right? It's like my mom and I had talked about this stuff for a long period of time. Um, so I think she wasn't surprised by any means as to like the contents of the book. Maybe she was a little bit more surprised, like, oh, he's actually, you know, taking the steps to write this thing. Um, my brother and my dad kind of weren't all that surprised either in the sense that uh, we read a lot of books in the self-help space. My brother has written a book before. So it was sort of like on brand a little bit, right, for the family. But yeah, there are definitely stories within each of my books and then my blog as well that like not everybody in my family, not that many people have heard those stories, right? It's like I might tell some of them uh, when I'm out with a friend uh, at dinner or something like that. But those stories definitely, uh, some of them were, were new to people. I think there was a little bit of surprise there as well, right? And it's, uh, you know, I kind of look back, I wrote the first book, uh, I, I wrote it, you know, the first draft in 2017. So that was about five years ago. And there's, you know, I think with any, any um, sort of creative process or work that you put out there, I think there's always a little bit of, you know, looking back and saying, oh, I wish I did things differently or something like that. So I'm actually doing, uh, you know, surprisingly enough, I'm actually cleaning up the first book, kind of doing a revised edition of it right now. Um, just want to, you know, I feel like over the years, uh, my skills as a writer have improved. Mm -hmm. And there's also just some things that you're like, okay, you know, five years ago, my mindset has changed. And maybe I don't want to tell that story in that same fashion, or maybe that story doesn't apply, or it's a little cringeworthy or something like that. So yeah, it's definitely a, a tough balance to strike, right? Because I'm trying to connect with folks. Uh, and the only way that you can really do that is to say like, hey, here's something that I've been through that maybe you have been through as well. Um, but if I share too, too much information, it might get to the point where folks are like, I don't, creeped out is the wrong word, but like a little overwhelmed, right? Of like, oh, the, you know, that's TMI, right? Yeah, that's so true. I mean, honestly, I applaud you for sharing your stories because a lot of, a lot of people want to talk about the mental health issues. They, they want to kind of hide them. Or, um, I remember a friend of mine said that in some parts of the country, they hide it. But she said in the South, we bring our crazy out and we sit them on the front porch. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating to think about the different cultures and subcultures within the U.S. and how sort of the thing that the basically the phenomenon that you just alluded to. Right. It's like different families talk about things in different fashions, different cities approach different um, issues in different fashions. So 
so much of that culture influences how we then make sense of our experiences, process our emotions, and also, you know, either find ways to cope with, uh, you know, our mental demons or not cope with them. So that is something that's really fascinating. Not that I, I don't do a ton of research in that space. I, all I'll say from a very, very high level, right, is like the more that you keep these things inside of yourself and suppress them, uh, the, the more they're going to grow and fester and eat away to, at you. So it's sort of the even though maybe I didn't know I was doing this at the time, it was sort of like the, the first book was a creative outlet and um, I guess an, an expressive outlet where I was like, I want to I want to get these stories out of me. And even if nobody reads them, it's sort of like a, a journalistic kind of thing, right, where it's like a catharsis or a cathartic moment where it's like I'm sort of saying that I'm at peace with this stuff. I'm processing it. I'm creating a narrative and putting it out in the world. And then that way, maybe I can, uh, I guess, move on from some of the difficulty. I love that. And we need to take a brief commercial break. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about your own personal journey and what you're willing to share with us. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of Shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways, and we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do, um, and we would appreciate any support either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com and in the menu, click on Donate. We just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. And we are back chatting with Brian about mental health and his own journey with mental health. Um, before we went to the break, you talked about writing the book and it was like a catharsis for you. But did you ever think when you were writing it that you were going to actually publish it? Or did you think, okay, this is just something I have to get down on paper. Let me get it out. of Like you said, dealing with your own personal demons and get it out of your head. Yeah, I, from day one, the goal was to publish it. I think that, you know, it was a combination of all the things that we talked about in the sense of the catharsis, the making sense of the journey and whatnot. But also, like, I'll be totally honest, right? It's like, I, I obviously wanted to help people. I wanted to share the story uh, and the insights and get that stuff out there. But, you know, there's there was something on the other side of my mind being like, hey, you know, maybe, right, maybe I write a decent book and it sells a lot of copies and uh, I can start a little bit of a side hustle over here, right? Um, I, you know, it's like, I think that a lot of authors would love for their their writing to become their full-time work. I'm not at a, a, at a place where I can do that yet. I think I'll, I would say, you know, in terms of author, like the author community, it's a very, very small percentage. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, that's in the back of my mind too, where it's like, 
there's the there's sort of the selfish aspect of that of like I want to make a little bit of money. The the less selfish aspect is like, well, the more books I sell and the more time that I can dedicate to this because I don't need, you know, maybe a, a different income stream to support my bank account or keep the lights on or something like that, the more people I can reach and help uh, in turn. So there's definitely uh, two sides to that coin. So let's talk about your personal journey. When did you first realize that you struggled with depression and anxiety? Yeah, I would say anxiety was more, I mean, it's, it's one of those moments where it's like, or answers where, you know, if I went into a psychiatrist's office and we sat on the couch and we went back into, you know, my childhood and all that stuff. Like, I think I was always ex exhibited some nervous qualities uh, where rear, excuse me, where it really reared its uh, ugly head was at the end of high school and then going into college where, you know, it was like I started going on dates for the first time and I didn't have a lot of experience there. It was like, you know, for, uh, I think, especially in high school, right? It's like, you know, you watch the movies and it's it, so sometimes it's glamorized or whatever, but it's like a lot of the times it's like, you know, everybody's drinking at somebody's house and you kiss a girl or a boy, whatever it is. Right. And, um, and it's like that, 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 the way that, that, the, that I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase it the right way. It's like those social interactions are not real. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we had a couple of beers, we we're drunk, whatever. Like, that, that doesn't require anything of you. You don't have to, you know, uh, express your feelings. You don't necessarily have to make yourself vulnerable or anything like that. Uh, and I'm not like, I'm not saying there isn't a time or a place for that. Like plenty of people, you know, meet their significant others and spouses in those fashions and then, you know, kind of move into more regular relationships from there. But I, I think, you know, kind of evaluating my own life, it was like, you know, I hid behind masking my feelings and it was like, oh, well, I'm anxious, but I can just have a couple beers or something like that. Um, so, you know, as I got older and, you know, going into more intimate social experiences and, what, and whatnot, that's when it was like, oh, I actually, you know, I have social anxiety. I have anxiety of like, you know, meeting women, going on dates, expressing my interest and things like that. Um, so that really became like, you know, that sort of just by product of it's like when you're in high school, right, you have to ask girls to the prom and you have to. Well, I mean, you obviously want to pursue your romantic interests and with that can it can be stressful. Right. So that was sort of where it started. And then eventually, you know, kind of began to realize like what some of my patterns were, where, uh, you know, in which situations I kind of got into my own head and stuff like that. Um, and from there, I was trying to figure out working with doctors and psychologists and stuff like that, uh, reading books and blogs and uh, journal articles, trying to figure out like, OK, what are my tendencies? What are some of the things that I can do uh, to mitigate the the, uh, the symptoms associated with those tendencies? I love that fact that you talked about it started in high school, but it like accelerated in college. And I think that's where a lot of people see where the having to deal with the social situations that the anxiety comes out. And then especially in college when you're like, okay, now you've got to not only interact with your peers, but you also have to worry about what kind of career you're going to be in. And, and all these pressures are coming on you. How did you navigate that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's like, um, I, I think it was, a, it was a combination of maybe not necessarily admitting to myself as, as all of the struggle that it was. And I think some of that is sort of like pushing it away a little bit. So that way you can manage it without drowning in it, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I think sometimes if you're like, oh, my goodness, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. This is so bad. How am I going to get through this? Uh, then you kind of make the problem even worse than it is. So for me, it was sort of like and I mean, looking back on it, I, I guess I wish my approach was a little bit uh, a little bit more balanced in the sense of like I could have definitely said like, hey, I admit that this is what I struggle with. But at the same time, not made such a big deal out of it. Right. It could have been like, hey, this is something that I've done some research and I know that a lot of people struggle with. And it's like 
it may be difficult, but it's not the end of the world. And we're going to work with people to figure these things out. Um, I think because I sort of like hit it a little bit, it became more challenging to deal with. But I, I think sometimes in life, right, it's sort of how you deal with things or, or how things eventually unfold is sort of a product of uh, the, nece the necessitation of them, right? Where it's like, if you feel lousy enough, eventually those feelings are going to push you uh, to seek out a doctor, to seek out a psychiatrist, a therapist, something like that. And for me, I think that was sort of the path where it was like, you know, for the first couple of years of college, I could get away with um, basically it was like, you know, people drank every weekend and we could get away with that. It was like, if I'm nervous about these social events, I can just have a couple beers and, and, you know, things will be okay. But, you know, maybe I don't want to go on a date on Tuesday night sober because I'm afraid of that. Uh, so as, as college went along, it became more apparent to me that I had something that I really needed to deal with. Um, and eventually it was like, yeah, talking to my mother, like she was instrumental in, uh, in helping me with some of these things. And then through her, she was like, why don't we find a doctor, you know? And so I talked to a couple doctors and then it was like finding resources from there and starting to build what I would call, you know, your mental health toolkit of different strategies that you can pull out to make yourself feel better when you're feeling anxious or depressed or something like that. So you just talked about the mental health toolkit. What is in your toolkit? Yeah, so uh, there, there's so many strategies that are in there. I definitely want to give concrete and actionable advice or specific things there. Uh, what I usually point to, right? So um, I've got two books. One is on anxiety. One is on depression. In the first book, so uh, the one on anxiety, the first half of that book is centered around a framework, which I call the 10 steps to getting out of your head. So those are just 10 simple strategies that you can use to walk back fear once it's already kind of arisen. Um, so those 10 strategies are in the toolkit. I can talk about a couple of them. Uh, but the interesting thing is like, as I like to say in the book, it's like, I throw so many different strategies at the reader. And I also understand that not everybody is the same and not every strategy works for every person. So it's important to put a lot of strategies on the table. That way people can kind of sift through them and say, hey, this one works for me. This one doesn't. Um, you know, not every single toolkit is going to look the same just as not every uh, every single one of those tactics is going to work for everybody. So I guess, you know, to make things a little bit more specific, why don't I jump into a couple of these tactics, right? Um, so I believe it's step number six on uh, the 10 steps to getting out of your head is recite a powerful mantra. I'm kind of going off off the uh, off the top of the, the head on that one. Um, but so like a mantra, right? It's just a short, empowering phrase. Uh, a lot of us have these, even if we don't realize them, right? And sometimes, uh, sometimes we'll have I guess like a, a disempowering mantra or a negative mantra, but like some, you know, reciting something like your, uh, uh, to yourself, like everything is going to be okay. Or if you get in your head, you're dead or, um, <laughs> that. Something like that. Right. It's like, you got to figure out what language, um, sort of calls to you. Right. It's like the, the second one I mentioned where it's like, if you get in your head, you're dead, that's a little aggressive. That might be a little bit more considered masculine or something like that. Um, so it's important to find a phrase that grounds you, right? It's like, for me, I know that when I'm stuck in my head and I'm all like, my mind is moving at a million miles a minute, that works for me. Cause it's like aggressive. It's like, dude, like get back to ground zero, you know? Um, but that's not going to be the case for everybody. But I guess at the same time, finding whichever uh, phrase it is that is helpful for you allows you to then, you know, have the awareness to say like, okay, I'm in my head right now. I'm going to just repeat this phrase to myself. And it almost gives you a distraction from sort of the, the problems in what people would call like the monkey mind, right? It's like your mind wants to think about all these different issues that could happen or will happen or whatever. And if you're able to just like sit down and say like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And I know it's, it's like corny or cheesy at times, but it's, it's really like, what we need a lot of the time in these situations is something to distract us from our minds. Um, and if it's something as simple as reciting just 
uh, a short sentence or something like that. That's awesome, right? I love, yeah, and I love the way you said, get out of your head, you're dead, because it's also kind of comedic, too. It's like a little bit of laughter. You saw I laughed when you said that. Yeah. It's like, hey, you're taking yourself way too seriously. You need to just stop it right now. And it's like, that's a way to get some levity in the situation as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like when we, when we say distraction, right, it's like another word for that would be a pattern interrupt. So it's like if I can get you to laugh, then I if you're feeling anxious, then I just interrupted your pattern. Um, and that's what we want to try to strive for in ourselves. I guess it's usually easier to make other people laugh than ourselves. But uh, I digress. And so that was your top one. What's another one that you use? Yeah, sure. Why don't I uh, take a look at the list? The reason why, not that I don't have them memorized, but I tend to on podcasts, I tend to give like the same two. And then I look back and I'm like, every single podcast, I talk about the same one. So I, I get a little, uh, you know, disappointed by that. Um, let's see. So um, let's, let's go with uh, step number three, which is uh, evaluate the potential outcomes and reconnect to the one you want. So the, the sort of the, the logic behind this one or the reason that I put this one forth was that when we're anxious, our minds try to trick us into thinking that the worst case scenarios are the only things that are possible, right? So for example, if we're going for a job interview, even if it's like for our dream job and we want that job, sometimes our anxiety makes us fall into these traps where, you know, the next thing we realize is that we are, we've been in our minds for, you know, a day, a week, a month or something like that trying to figure out how to prevent bad things from happening, mm -hmm. forgetting the fact that the reason why we're going to the job interview in the first place is because we want the job, right? So sometimes we, we get so distracted from our end aim that, you know, it can be helpful to rethink, to refocus on what it is that we want. Now, obviously one of the, one of the problems with this, right, is like, uh, and I, I think a lot of us experience this and I, I have a lot of, <laughs> I've done this one a lot, right? Where it's like, even like we can sometimes obsess over what we want to happen so much that it becomes a rumination. And then all of a sudden we are like trying to convince ourselves that we're thinking about our desired outcome when what we're really doing is trying to like see it at the same time that we block out negative outcomes. So for example, right? If it's like, I want to go to this job interview, I want to get the, I want to get uh, you know, a job offer or something like that in our heads, that will be there. But what will also be there is the idea that we'll have a panic attack in the middle of the interview. Uh, our interviewer will, will laugh at us or something like that. Um, so sometimes it's, I think it's helpful to maybe put some of our visualiz visualizations down, right? Because sometimes fear wraps itself up in what we want out of a specific situation. Other times we sometimes just connect too much to those negative potential outcomes. And it can be helpful to say, wow, I'm in my head. I've blown this entire situation out of proportion, almost thinking as if, you know, like, I guess if we step back, we say like, why, why am I going to this job interview anyway? Like my mind would be telling me right now that I'm going to it to avoid being laughed out of the room or something like that. Right. And when we're able to step back and say, well, wait a second, I'm going on this job interview because something good could actually happen. I want this job and that's why I'm going. I'm, I'm going to try to get that job offer, right? Um, being able to make that distinction again and sort of disconnect from the chaos uh, in our minds can be helpful. Now, obviously, because sometimes this becomes a ruminative process, uh, I say this specific strategy with a little bit of a disclaimer, uh, and that's that if we find ourselves going back to what it is that we want and saying, oh, I want that job offer, I want that job offer, and we still don't feel good about it or it makes us uneasy or something like that, 
there's no reason that we can't just drop it all together and just show up to the interview not thinking about anything, right? Sometimes the best strategy is to just let autopilot take over, step out of the interview once it's done and be like, I didn't even think about it. I think I did all right. And we'll we'll kind of see where the chips fall from there, right? But in a way, that's the strategy of getting out of your own head as well, because you're not thinking about it. You're just going in and you're like, okay, it's just going to flow the way it's going to flow. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. If it's not, it's not. You're absolutely right. Um, And I think, you know, one of one of the one of the tricky things about uh, like the self-help space, right? There's a lot of folks out there who are like really good people, well-intentioned people, but there's a lot of dogma or something out there that, you know, sort of on, on the lines of the secret, right? It's like you you can't create what you want externally without first creating it internally. In order to attract what you want, you have to think about it. Uh, and I think I would call BS on that. It's like if you are aligned with what you want and you don't think about it at all, you show up to whatever situation it is uh, that you're nervous about or something like that and with a clear mind, it's like that is so much better of a strategy than sitting you know, on your couch or on the bus or wherever it may be fretting over this potential event uh, for, for days, months, weeks before it. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're totally right there. So going back to your personal journey, tell us, can you tell us a story where it's really like some of these mantras or some of these steps that you have implemented that you write about in your book, how it's helped you in your personal journey? Yeah. I mean, I'll be totally honest, right? I'm so, <laughs> 32 years old, still single. Um, I, I still, I think a lot of people do. I still get nerves, you know, when uh, when I'm like going on dates or like seeing somebody that I'm interested in or something like that. Um, and I come back to the 10 steps all the time, right? It's like the, the toughest thing about anxiety and depression, mental health in general, is that a lot of it happens on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. So we have these 10 steps, we have other strategies in our toolkits. And then it's like, you know, we make plans to do something that makes us a little bit nervous or something like that. The next thing we know, it's like, crap, I avoided the 10 strat- the ten steps without even realizing it. I have been in my head for the whole day or something like that. So one of the important things in this battle is to develop a sense of awareness, right? To be able to more often get to that point where we say, well, I'm in my head right now. I need to go back to the toolkit. Uh, and then once we're able to make that distinction, that's where you know we pull out those strategies. And that's something that I do in my own life. I mean, I, I put my hand up and say, some days that I do that better than I do others. Uh, but you know, going down the list, right? It's like the first step in the 10 steps to getting out of your head is, is to breathe. Uh, specifically, it's to breathe deeply and to breathe, uh, make sure that we're getting like a full exhale. Um, and that there, you know, there's some science behind that that basically shows that when we exhale deeply, um, we activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is basically sort of like the calming division of our nervous system. And so whenever I find myself like revved up and anxious, whether it's like, you know, preparing for a job interview or a date or something like that, I say, dude, like you just got to breathe. And then I sit there for 30, 60 seconds or something like that. And I work on it. It's like, you know, it's not sexy. It's not special, anything like that, but it's like returning to the breath. And then once I have that, you know, once I have that pattern down, it's like, okay, I now have a little bit more awareness. I can go through the rest of the steps uh, and work through some of the strategies that, that I like. So you mentioned earlier that at, when you were in college or maybe a little bit after college that you realized you needed help. What was that one breaking point that you realized, okay, I need to go see a professional about this? Yeah, uh, that, that was a tough one. Like that was during senior year of, of, uh, of college. I was just in a dark, dark place. Um, you know, kind of one of those where you're like, 
you're just questioning everything and you're like, I don't know what the future holds and all that. Um, and so I went on spring break with my friends. I was just not in a good place. I was far away from, you know, the comforts of home and all that. And it's supposed to be like this, this great uh, experience where you're drinking with your friends the whole time, whatever. And I hated every last second of it. It was like, you know, we were drinking 24 seven. I, I kind of, I try to stay like I do drink, but it's like, I try to, you know, do it in moderation and do it in a healthy fashion. The food was horrible. The, the amenities were horrible. Like everybody got sick from the water down there. Um, and so it was like, I came back and I was demoralized physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I, was, I remember my mom picked me up from the airport and I was just like, yeah, we, we got to like, I, I think I had already talked to somebody, but it was like, like th we really have to accelerate this because I'm just not doing good. It's really hard because sometimes with mental health, uh, you always almost see that more women are more likely to talk about mental health than men because men are supposed to be these strong pillars and they're not supposed to, you know, they're supposed to be the backbone of society or the backbone of the family. And that's not the case. Yeah, I, I, I think so. So I want to be like specific in responding to this. You are absolutely correct in the sense that more women talk about this stuff than men. Um, I think I think this like the the thing I want to add, right, or, or maybe clarify is, um, yes, like it is it doesn't do men any uh, it it doesn't do them any good to not talk about these things. And it doesn't make you any less of a man to talk about these things. I think one of the nuances, right, is like no man wants to feel like a total wimp and no man wants to feel like they're just crying or something like that. So there may be a, like there may be different ways that like the, the sexes can express these sorts of things. But at the end of the day, each one of them has to. Otherwise, it's like, I mean, sure, if we're dealing with a very minor problem, it's like, yeah, maybe I can ignore this and it'll go away or something like that. But if you're really struggling and you don't talk to somebody, you don't get it out there, like, it's going to be hell. I'm not going to lie. So yeah, I think, you know, one thing that I talk about on podcasts and different appearances and whatnot is, is saying like, so sort of as you alluded to, Melissa, was the notion that like, men don't want to talk about this stuff because we're supposed to be manly and, you know, macho and all that stuff. I would almost say that if you have a problem that you're not willing to talk about, how is that like, how is that manly? Right. It's like men, like, and I, I'm kind of, you know, being black and white with the genders here or whatever, there's obviously overlap, but it's like men are supposed to be problem solvers, right? If you're not willing to confront your problem, you're not being masculine. I think being masculine as it as it applies to this context is being able to sit down and say, this is what I'm dealing with. It is difficult, but I will figure it out. And I not I now need to go start that journey. Right. Rather than saying, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be strong. Uh, I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Uh, and I'm going to kind of just hide in my room or something like that. And again, I'm being a little bit black and white, a little bit facetious or something like that. Don't get me wrong. It is very difficult to talk about these things. Yes. Uh, I'm not discounting that at all. All I'm saying is that like the, the strategy or approach of hold, withholding them in, in, a, in an effort to, to appear more macho is not a good one. I'm, I'm going to piggyback on that because you also see where there's a lot now more than it was earlier in, in, long time ago is more talking about mental health with our military because before it was don't ask, don't tell, you know, very quiet. You don't, if you had a problem, you didn't go see anybody because it could get back to your COs and then that could cause a problem. Why do you think now all of a sudden it's kind of like a little bit of a switch has turned on it? Not all of the branches, but I know some of the branches are focusing more on PTSD as well. Yeah. I think some of it is, culturally related and then some of it is and this might be culture too but just the fact that stories have gotten out right so you you like 
the movie American Sniper came out, right? And a lot of people watched that and saw that, you know, troops come home and have PTSD. This is a real brutal thing that people deal with. So more of those stories in sort of the the uh, social narrative, social dialogue helps push the conversation forward. Um, I think also just the fact that, you know, in 2022, there are a lot more people talking about mental health in general than there were in 1990. I think all, or either all or both of those things come together to basically make it, um, you know, make people, whether it's in the military or some other organization, uh, we, we've normalized mental health a little bit, right? And, and that begins to infiltrate its way into these different organizations and allows people that are higher up in these companies and orgs to say, look, like we need to make space for this stuff. We need to talk about this stuff. I think especially on, you know, uh, the military side, like so many of us, like rightfully so, like we love our troops, right? It's like they support us, they protect us. And if we, you know, as we're hearing about these stories and we're like, this is how, you know, people come back with PTSD and we provide them no help, no support. This is how we, you know, treat our troops. Like, I think a lot of people were very upset about that. And rightfully so, um, you know, people went to their Congress people and stuff like that and said, hey, we need to support our troops better. We need to pass better, better bills that, um, you know, protect their health and things like that. So um, long winded answer is I think just kind of societal uh, and cultural forces have have swept through that and uh, basically made people see this a little bit differently. So you said your first book was on anxiety, correct? Yep. Okay, so let's let's switch gears and talk about your second book, Depression. Yeah. Um, so second book, as you alluded to, uh, so the, the title of that one is Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression. Uh, that one grew out of a personal battle with depression. I mean, just as kind of the first one did, right? All, the, all my writings are, are pretty much uh, uh, come from a place of personal experience. Um, and so it was a battle that I went through in 2018. Uh, I think given the fact that I had already started this brand, started the book series and said like, hey, my general approach to mental health battles is I'm going to try to find out as much information as I can about these various ailments. Uh, and then I'm going to take those things, synthesize them down and try to deliver some piece of content, whether it's a book, a podcast, a, a blog article, something like that um, to my listeners. So the inspiration was similar in the sense that you know, I was going through depression or had been through a depressive episode uh, and learned a lot of things and wanted to continue to contribute to the space uh, in the way that I knew how, which was basically talking about my experiences, uh, delivering helpful strategies and that sort of thing. So let's talk about when did the depression come into your life? Because um, you talk about anxiety happened in high school, going in through college and really at the your senior year of college is when it's really like blossomed. I don't want to say blossomed because it sure that's a like great yeah. But, you know, it really kind of blew up their anxiety. It was like, okay, I need to get help. Well, what about your depression? Yeah, so it was interesting. I, I would actually say, like, you know, in senior year of college, that was both anxiety and depression at the same time. Um, in 2018, it was more depression. But, you know, it's interesting where folks say, like, the diseases are two peas in a pod. Um, and I think there's a lot to that in the sense that um, the same mechanics of our minds can lead us down these traps and these spirals that lead us to feel either really fearful or uh, full of despair, right? So uh, those two things being anxiety and depression, respectively. Um, so I think there can sometimes be a little bit of each in any episode that we go through. Um, but so the, 20, the, the 2018 battle that led to me writing that second book, it, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough for me to talk about just, and I don't like, I'm more than happy to do it. It's tough for me to talk about in the sense that like, 
I don't necessarily have like that special of a story. You know what I mean? I'm just a dude, like I'm living life. Uh, I'm so grateful and so lucky that, you know, I haven't had too many personal tragedies or anything like that. Um, at the same time, I, I don't think that we necessarily, well, <laughs> from experience, I know that we don't need those things to occur in order for us to feel depressed, right? It, uh, and I think that's one of maybe the final hurdles that we need to clear a little bit uh, in the space, right? Is like one in five people across their lifetimes will experience depression. Uh, not every single one of those people is going to have lost their entire family in a tragedy or something like that. And obviously, I mean, that sort of thing would be horrific. And I, I don't wish that upon anybody. Um, but there are many, many reasons why people can fall into depression. So, I mean, getting into uh, the story behind behind my book, right? I try. So I do give my story and then I try to dissect it a little bit to help readers make connections to their own lives. But the second book is definitely less storytelling uh, and more tr trying to bring in research uh, and connect to some of the scientific studies that have been done. I just felt as though, you know, I don't know, but I, when I wrote that one, well, I don't know how old I was, 28, 29, just got to a place where I was like, I want to feel as though I, I'm, I'm a little bit more authoritative in the space rather than, Hey, you know, I'm this guy, I tell these stories of where I was nervous or something like that. Look, there's a, there's a great place for all that stuff. And people definitely, it resonates with people. Um, but I think also like to, to reach a wider audience, I felt as though I needed to bring in more of the research and whatnot. So anyway, a uh, quick recap of the, the 2018 battle was basically, it was just a place in my life where it was like, I would call it a quarter life crisis, right? It was like, I remember this one day where uh, I, I went to uh, uh, the Topsfield fair, which is where, you know, um, it's a fair in the town that I, that my parents live. Uh, it was like, I always went there growing up. And so it's like, you know, so much of your childhood happens there. And I brought my nephew there and it was sort of one of those whirlwind moments where it was like, I'm taking him on the carousel and I'm remembering like my parents taking me on the carousel and sort of one of the, it was like obviously very touching and it was a great moment to share, but it was also scary in the sense of like, I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I guess I didn't realize that I grew up this fast and I'm now a legitimate adult, right? And I feel as though life is flying by uh, and sooner or later I'll be dead, right? And I know that's grim, uh, but like that was sort of where my mind was at. And then I went home that night and for better or for worse, well, probably for worse, but for many different reasons, uh, like I was, you know, reading uh, one of the technology websites that I that I used to read a lot. And I just clicked on this story because it, it seemed intriguing. They start talking about climate science. And then, you know, four hours later, I'm on all these different websites talking like that are talking about like gloom and doom and how we're going to, you know, basically destroy the planet and whatnot. And it really sunk me into this dark place of thinking like, you know, not only am I going to be dead soon, but everybody on earth is as well. And I, I, I do want to back off that and say that like that, that statement is not necessarily factual. That was just like how I felt at that moment. Right. Um, and from there it was like, you know, I was in a job where I had kind of always put it on this pedestal. And I said like, if I could get this job, it will be the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's my dream job, yada, yada, yada. And then I got it. And I actually like, it was so boring and I hated it. Um, I was not fulfilled or anything like that. Um, and right around that same time as well, my grandmother passed away and she was, you know, she was 90 years old. She lived an amazing life, but it doesn't take away from the fact that like, she was somebody who was really, really important to me and somebody like one of the people I was closest with in my life. Right. And I think all of those different factors kind of came together in this almost confluence, if you will, uh, to lead me to this sort of pit of despair of like, you know, questioning life, questioning existence, questioning, you know, is anything ever going to be as good as I imagine it to be or something like that? So I really put myself in a rut for a while. Um, but again, I, I, I do want to stress that, like, uh, I guess nothing tragic happened to me, right? It's, it's kind of more like I wanted to highlight the fact that men and women every day, like, 
for maybe no reason, for maybe some reason, experience this thing. And it is really, really hard to deal with. That is so true. I mean, I have a daughter who actually, um, nothing really, well, we lost my dad and some other things, but it's just, she's always been like that. She's always, it's just that chemical imbalance and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you can treat it and you can, but you have to daily live with it sometimes. Sometimes you do. I mean, it's, it's a really, really tough thing. I think I, you know, sometimes I say like anxiety, right? It's like anxiety sometimes can revolve more around like moments in time, things that we have on our calendars. And so it's like, if we're anxious about a job interview and the job interview passes, we might not be anxious anymore. Right. Um, depression is harder, right? It's like this cloud that hangs over us. It's very hard for us to just like reach up into the sky and, and push the clouds away. Um, so that's definitely challenging. Um, I think at the same time, that sort of that, that way of looking at both the of the diseases led me to write a different kind of book. Um, so this book is, is less of the like, hey, here, pull out your toolkit and vanquish depression, because I just don't know if it works that way. It was more of, you know, a philosophy of approaching this disease. It was looking at it from, um, so there's, there's this thing called the biopsychosocial model, which is sort of just a framework for like evaluating uh, where diseases come from and whatnot. So if you look at that word itself, right, you've got uh, bio, which is bi biological, you get psycho, which is psychological, and then you've got social, which uh, is the word itself. But right, it's three different buckets from which if we're looking at depression, then depression could appear, right? So biological, it's like it, the way that we use our brains and bodies, our genetics, our neurotransmitters, maybe a chemical imbalance, uh, psychological, you know, the, the way that we think, our thoughts, our beliefs, um, everything in that realm. And then social is kind of everything else, our jobs, our, mm -hmm. our connections, our, our relationships, our friends, our family. Um, and so it's like, if any one of those categories gets thrown off in a radical fashion, or, or, or I guess even more than one of them in a, in a large enough fashion, then the scales can basically tip in our minds to make us feel depressed. Uh, and the difficulty with that, right, is like, if we are depressed as a result of, let's say, losing our job, and, um, you know, our girlfriend or boyfriend breaking up with us, I don't think overnight, we're going to necessarily get a new job and find a new relationship. Some of those things take time. And that's why I think that, you know, my second book is a little bit more of the philosophy. It's like, hey, we have to have the mindset in understanding that, like, even though these things will take time, we're eventually going to get through them. Um, that allows us to keep a little bit of the hope in our minds. Uh, whereas like if, if we look at depression and say, you know, what does it really boil down to? It's two feelings, right? It's helplessness and hopelessness. And the more that we lean into those feelings or we feel them, the more depressed uh, we're going to be. Yeah, that is so true. And I like the way you said that where you just said it. And now it's just totally blew my mind um, about how you first, you said it's hopeless and helpless the more you get into those feelings the more it's going to make you more depressed but also you need to acknowledge that you're having those feelings and say okay i'm having these feelings at this moment things maybe next week maybe um, a year from now i won't be in the same state you have to realize this long term not short term absolutely and it's it's such an important point to stress because uh this is where some of the work that i do in the computer science world plays in a little bit um, so there's there's this notion of like state management in the computer world, which uh, all it really says is that, you know, a computer program manages a lot of different data inputs mm -hmm. and it takes all those inputs to say, I'm in state one, I'm in state two, I'm in state three. And then in each of those states, it it, it functions or acts in, uh, in different ways. 
And if we look at sort of that, that, that basic and general model and apply it to our own lives, what we can basically say is that when we're depressed, we're, we act in certain ways, we think in certain ways. And one of those things is that when we're depressed, we don't think that th things will ever get better. And the problem with that is it's, it's even though like what we may be dealing with could be super, super difficult, that mindset is a product of the state that we're in. And so it's like if somehow we were able to move ourselves into a joyous, a, a hopeful, a happy state, all of a sudden that narrative would sort of silence itself in our minds, which is it's kind of fascinating. It's also kind of like a, 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 a total. Uh, what's the right word? I, I want to say, say a mind F if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So how do we move ourselves from that place where we're so despondent and so like, oh, in despair and, and you know, lost all hope to to look into more positive things? How do we do that? Yeah, I, you know, I think it, it's definitely tough, right? And I, I think some of it comes back to a little bit of a toolkit, right? It's like if you are able to, and it's, it's, it's why, why I say it's a little different is like, it's not necessarily pull out a strategy and all of a sudden my depression is gone. It's more like pull out a strategy, change how I'm feeling for a few minutes. And then if I can string enough to, uh, if I can string together enough of those wins, then eventually I might look back and say, Hey, I'm actually like feeling, you know, I, I'm on a macro level. I'm feeling a little bit better now. I'm feeling a lot better, something like that. Uh, I will say if we wanted to talk about specific things for depression, right? Um, a lot of folks will say that um, one of the best things we can do is is get into, uh, you know, a regimented exercise plan. So there's studies out there that show that. Um, and, and, I, and I do want to put a disclaimer on this is I'm, just because what I'm about to say uh, is true doesn't necessarily mean that I, I I'm not saying anything about uh, medication. So let, let me just say it and then it'll make more sense. Uh, so there's studies out there that basically say uh, that a regimented uh, exercise plan can be just as effective, if not more effective uh, in the treatment of depression than psycho, excuse me, psychotropic drugs. Uh, the disclaimer there is that even if that is the case, which I'm not necessarily saying it is because sometimes different studies show different things, um, that is definitely not an excuse for us to just all of a sudden, you know, come off of our medication or something like that. I'm definitely not advocating that. Uh, in fact, right, like my approach in general, right, if we're looking at this biopsychosocial model, my approach is like, we want to look at every single bucket or all three buckets and figure out all of the ways that we can sort of, I guess, if we're saying, you know, uh, these buckets all hold water, right? How do we put more water in each of them, right? Uh, so it would be like, yeah, let's get on that physical exercise plan. But if we're on medication, we want to stay on medication until our doctor says that we shouldn't be on it anymore. Um, and it's, it's all in the name of sort of racking up as many wins as we can, right? Sort of if it's an equation where it's like we need to get uh, we need to put as many things together to equal 100 and exercise equals 20 and medication equals 20. That helps us get there faster, right? Um, so that's definitely one thing. I, I would say from a sort of a, uh, an anecdotal perspective, right? When we exercise, we, we get our bodies moving. There's all sorts of you know, neurotransmitter transmitter activity. Um, I'm uh, totally, uh, totally losing the, the name for, um, oh, geez. What's, excuse me, what's the name for the neurotransmitter that uh, release? Oh, endorphins, uh, mm -hmm. right? So it's like endorphins are flowing, that sort of thing. But also like if we're focused more on our bodies, then it's going to be harder for us to be in our head. So it's like I know from my own experiences, if I'm not having a great day, what I like to do is I like to put my, uh, you know, my headphones in and go for a run. And a lot of the times like, yeah, sure, it can be physically straining or something like that. A lot of the times that will help me disconnect from whatever it is that I'm chewing over. It's, it's hard to be running at whatever speed that it is, let's say, I don't know, 
five miles an hour, 10 miles an hour and be in our heads at the same time. So it's definitely one that I, that I leverage quite a bit. I, you know, for, just from a personal perspective, it's like, I try to get a 30 minute walk in every day. Uh, and then five days a week, I try to do something a little bit more strenuous, whether that's uh, lifting weights, going for a run, doing yoga, something like that. And I think too, a lot of the times what works for one person may not work for the other person. It's all what your personal taste is. You are totally right on that. Um, and it's important to, to know that, right? Where I think one of the tricky things is like, you know, the way that the way that the internet works and SEO and all that, it's like, you know, somebody is going to be incentivized to write a blog that says the two things you absolutely must do to overcome depression. And then you read the article and you do those things and you're like, well, now I'm doing them and I don't feel any better. Um, it's tricky, right? Where it's like, unfortunately, uh, things are not as clean and sexy as that. It's more like, hey, here's a hundred strategies, try them all out for yourself and then figure out what works for you and lean into those. And I totally agree with that. You have to figure out what works for you because some, some medication doesn't work. Some medication does work. I'm all trying to figure out and trying things to make sure that they work for you. Now, Brian, our time is almost up. Before we get to where people can find you at, do you have one last little nugget that you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of sign off on these podcasts uh, in the same fashion a lot of the time, which is basically just to say to folks like, hey, if you're, if you're dealing with something, you know, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, uh, know that I'm rooting for you. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard thing to go through something like that. Um, but also like to remember that things can get better and uh, like ultimately they probably will, right? It might not necessarily happen tomorrow. It might not happen next week, but it could happen in a couple weeks, next month, something like that. So hold on to the hope that it can get better because um, I know it can be so damn difficult, but I think that it probably will. So again, I'm rooting for you. I love that. And on that note, where can people find you at? Yeah, best place would be getoutofyourhead.com. So that's kind of all one word, no dashes, no spaces in that. And you also have um, some social media as well. Yeah. So uh, on Instagram, the handle is get out of your head, uh, no dashes, no spaces in that. Um, and then on Facebook, the uh, the page is get out of your head books. Again, no dashes, no spaces. Brian, I want to thank you for coming on and for sharing um, so much information about mental health, about depression and anxiety, because I think the more we talk about it and the more we learn from each other, the more we're not going to be ashamed of it anymore in our society. Absolutely. Yeah. I, these conversations are always powerful. They always get me a little emotional, to be honest. It was, it was a great one to have. So thanks for having me on. All right, guys, I will put in the show notes where you can find Brian as well as his books and where you can grab his books as well. So have a great rest of your day. Be blessed and see you on the next Chats from the Block Cabin. Bye. Chats from the Block Cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode. 